Welcome to Mint. My name is Adam Levy, and I'm going to be showing you how the creators of today are building the communities of tomorrow by harnessing the power of Web3. This episode welcomes Kyle and Evan Dillon, two brothers on a journey to empower the creative value of music by creating on-chain music production tools for creators. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Evan and Kyle, guys, welcome to Mint. How are we doing? How are we feeling? Good, good. Thanks for having us, Adam. Really appreciate it. Yep. Glad, glad you guys are here. Uh, you guys are making headwinds online. Uh, a lot of buzz around Arpeggi. So let's dive right into it, okay? Who are you guys? But more specifically, what were you doing before crypto and where are you now? Wow. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a long one. <laughs> the road to get to where we are today is, uh, is pretty interesting, but... I guess less than maybe three months ago, I was working as a software engineer at a big tech company. Um, I'd only graduated a year before that. So I graduated 2020, um, went right into working as a software engineer and was doing that for a while, just kind of coasting along. And then some buddies of mine from high school started getting really into NFTs and crypto and whatnot and kind of roped me into it as well. And then that's where it all sort of started. Um, they had a little project of their own. And then I got inspired to get something going myself. And so I hit up Kyle, my older brother, who had been working on a sort of music side project um, to kind of figure out what we could do with it. And uh, yeah, I'll pass it on to Kyle to talk about that. And here we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll fill in some of the, some of the, the gaps there. But uh, yeah, I'm also an engineer. I was working at Google for the last five years uh, until Evan came to me and said, um, uh, well, he said, hey, You've been working on this uh, little side project. It was a hip-hop beat generator. Um, I've just been working on it for fun on the side since college, uh, you know, five or six years now. And uh, he said, okay, there's a lot of cool generative music projects out there. What if we took this little beat generator and, and you know, put it on the blockchain and made it, you know, an NFT? But the big insight that Evan had that I think uh, was was pretty cool was was saying, like, instead of making this a generative NFT where people will just buy music that's already, you know, that, that our algorithm will make, what if we took the, the song format, uh, the same song representation that I had been using internally in this generator, uh, but kind of turned it into a creative tool that uh, anyone could basically use to, to create their own song, to compose their own song, um, and then write their own custom song uh, 100% on chain and, and mint that as an NFT. Um, and then that's kind of what led to, to the original, the Genesis, uh, arpeggio Genesis. Got it. Okay. So I'm a musician myself. Uh, you can't really see it here. I'll go full screen for a minute. Okay. You see the drums in the back. Okay. You saw that in the green room, but I'm a big fan. This makes a lot of sense to me. Okay. I'm, I'm very crypto native. I'm very web three forward, uh, super user, also musician. So I get the model for those who don't really understand. Why do you need like a beat making tool from creation to then minting on chain. Why is that transition so important versus downloading the MP3 file and then uploading it manually? Like why, why is that flow so necessary? Yeah, Kyle, I mean, <laughs> this is kind of on, on, it gets a little bit technical. I, I feel like when you, when you start to explain that. So Kyle mentioned earlier um, about this song format that we have. So basically when we set out to make our Peggy, we were trying to, we didn't really start with the problem of, oh, there's no music creation platform. Rather, we started with the problem of there's no music that's fully on chain. So Got all it. the music in the ecosystem today um, 
any music NFTs you see, aside from maybe Euler Beats and a few other of these generative projects, aren't really fully on chain. Um, in the same way that like an art blocks piece is, is fully on chain. And what that means is that the data um, to recreate your song or recreate your art piece is stored fully in the contract. Um, the way most NFT collections work today is that they create a token in the contract and they point to some third party storage system that stores the actual image or the actual composition. And so when Kyle and I set out to, to make our Pedgy, rather than framing it as a music creation platform, we were like, all right, how do we get music to be on chain? And the way we uh, solve that is that we needed people to write their music in this very specific format that Kyle had been developing. In order for people to write their music in this mm. edgy format, we needed to build a DAW around uh, the format so that people could easily create music in a way they're familiar with. And then the output would be in this very lightweight representation um, that's like one ten thousandth the size of a typical MP3, which is what allows us to actually put the, the music fully on chain um, versus most other NFT music projects. Got it. Got mm -hmm. it. So, so from, I guess, from a creative point of view, from a technical point of view, that makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. From a creator's point of view, why is that important to the creator? Yeah. Kyle, maybe you want to talk a little bit about like, you know, why is having music on the, on the blockchain cool and yeah. what we're going to do with it yeah. in the next version of our Pedgy. And, and by the way, I asked this from like a very devil's advocate, like dumbed down point of view, right? Because yeah. there's a lot of creators entering Web3. We've seen like the sexy art and video side kind of emerge with a lot of these Instagram corporate artists evolve. And now we're seeing a lot, a lot of like Web3 musicians get into the space. So just to add more clarity around the creator side would be great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a few layers here. Um, first question why would you want to uh, create something uh, on the blockchain at all? Or why, why would you want to create an NFT at all? Um, yeah. And there's a ton of, uh, you know, it's a philosophical question in a lot of ways, but there's a lot of interesting benefits for artists. Um, the things that we really love and the things that we think are the most relevant for musicians, especially, um, is the accreditation. The fact that once you mint something on the chain, it's, it's always going to be associated with your name. There's no way for somebody to come along later and say, oh, actually, I, I created that melody originally. Um, it's always going to be associated with you. Um, two, uh, and something that I think we, we really uh, tried to hit is it opens up access to this new type of digital uh, uh, consumer, uh, you know, digital collectors for, for music collectibles or digital listeners who are excited about Web3 and decentralized music platforms. Um, and that's that's something that's just getting started. We're just starting to see the emergence of kind of the Web3 consumer market. But as time goes on and as I think uh, more and more uh, people around the world realize the benefits of, of decentralized platforms over the sort of Web2 centralized uh, services um, for, for music, you know, SoundCloud, Spotify, mm -hmm. um, we're going to see a lot, I think, a lot more benefits for artists who, who kind of embrace new technologies, and new ways to distribute uh, their music. So that's a little bit high level. And um, the thing that, that we focused on for this was, like Evan mentioned, how do we put this fully on chain? How do we put the full data of the song on chain? And, and that's a good question too, is why is this relevant for, for musicians to have all of the data of their song be fully on chain? Evan mentioned uh, permanence, you know, like your song will always be there. Um, uh, if you upload your data to a third party server, uh, you know, if you upload your MP3 to a third-party server and create an NFT that just references that data, 
if that third party server crashes or that company decides that, you know, if they run out of money and they pull their servers, mm -hmm. you're not really holding anything anymore. Like you're just, you know, you're, you're, what you own is just a, a dead URL basically. Yeah. Um, or, uh, you know, IPFS is another file server solution and there's similar problems with, uh, if nobody wants to host your file, then it doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, putting the data on chain is, is an interesting technical problem. And we looked at Artblocks, which is probably the biggest and most popular fully on-chain art, visual art marketplace as uh, inspiration. And Artblocks um, is, is a fascinating and really an inspirational project. Um, they have had like immense success. I think they did, uh, was it $80 million of revenue, Evan? Mm -hmm. Yeah, something, something yeah, uh, in, in one year, uh, just, just because of the fact that they're, uh, their art being on chain makes it so much more valuable to collectors. So that's, that's one reason, but there's some other interesting technical elements we'll get into in a bit. Yeah. You know what I, I envisioned? So I played around with it a bit. Um, I look forward to the day where everything is on chain. Okay. Now I might be a maxi for that, but I think there's actually a lot of cool things you can integrate from the actual composition to itself being minted on chain to then collaboration. So multiple people kind of contributing to the same track and then splits occurring automatically on chain and all these like in nuances and intricacies that otherwise are like major pain points in web two now being automated by smart contracts. And the premise of that is minting a song on chain. So I think it does unlock a lot of like value down the line. And Evan, I see you nodding your head. You want to yeah, <laughs> add mean, to that? Absolutely. Adam, you, you almost just outlined our whole game plan for the next uh, <laughs> couple of months. So yeah, I think that the logical next step uh, with our Peggy is we have a way to put songs fully on chain, but beyond the whole song itself, we also have a way to put the song components and have them separated out from the whole song and track attribution, not only on the whole song level, but on the stem level. So each individual instrument track, you mm -hmm. can have attribution and association and royalty splits potentially down the line tied to those. And then even one level deeper than that, you can have attribution tied to the samples and the sample packs that actually make up those stems. And with that, you can kind of picture this whole ecosystem within Arpeggi where I'm making sample packs and someone else uses a stem or makes a stem using one of my samples. And I have a certain amount of royalties tied to my stem and they have a certain amount tied to their uh, sample. Mm -hmm. and then someone else uses that, pulls it in their song and all of it's just automated, automated away. And kind of the benefit of that as a creator is I have this massive library of stems and samples to pull from. And I don't have to think at all about, you know, um, Am I like taking this from someone else without their permission? Like everything in this library, um, people will like consent and have certain attribution and royalties and licenses attached to each one of their pieces. So it's a really powerful tool for creators to not only not have to worry about their stuff getting stolen, but also being able to compose tracks from this massive library where they don't have to worry about, um, you know, actually stepping on someone's toes with using their, their stems or samples. So yeah, definitely nodding my head in, in agreement with you there. Yeah. I, I think yeah. it's a really cool idea too, and uh, we'd, we'd like to you know make it happen. Kyle, when you were when you were kind of like building this out initially, like back in college, and you were just like tinkering, messing around. Did you ever imagine it would get to like this level of like <laughs> of like legitimacy and it actually be solving pain points? Because there's a ton of beat makers online, a ton of them. Like <laughs> I, I even in the Tesla itself, for example, like in, in like the the entertainment section. They have the ability to compose beats. And one of my questions wow. is like, when are you going to do an integration with Tesla to, <laughs> to mint shit on chain? <laughs> you know, it's actually, it's a really funny question. Like, uh, 
over like the years, there's been there's been months where I gotten really in, into working on that side project, and I I made like a, a fun website, and me and my other brother we used to freestyle over the beats that we, it would generate, and just like you know it was just a fun project. And then a few every now and then I'd be like, oh, how can I monetize this? Or like I'd get really in, and then like about a year ago, you know, early early in COVID, I was like, how can I make this into a VST plugin for Ableton and Fruity Loops? And I just got really demoralized after like two or three weeks of research because I was like, no, this is too complicated. Like it, there's no way to integrate generative full song arrangements yeah. into, into like digital audio workstations. And I just kind of said, fine, whatever. I, I'm not going to force it. And like the craziest thing is that out of nowhere, Evan came to me with this idea. And like, I'm not one to just like work on a startup project idea. I, I'm kind of a cynic when it comes to like, you know, I'm a cynic when it comes to like ideas. I think that there, a lot of them are, <laughs> A little bit too, uh, you know. I'm an engineer. I like building stuff and seeing yeah. real stuff. Yeah. But when Evan came to me with this idea in particular, I kind of was like, "When you know, like something's gonna work, you just like know it's gonna work." And when he told me about this originally, I just was like, "All right, this is the one thing that I will like quit my job and work on." And thankfully, it worked. Like here we are. Yeah. You know, yeah. It was Evan, unfortunate. Evan, are you the more <laughs> entrepreneurial one? Then I'll, I'll take it. Um, I don't know. I mean, definitely maybe in, in some senses, but, um, like, you did know, you like, uh, like in school, like you were growing up, you're like the lemonade stand kind of thing, or <laughs> is that the narrative? Or yeah, we had a couple lemonade stands back in the day. Okay. I, I did study entrepreneurship at, uh, I watched you while I was there. I, I studied computer science and entrepreneurship, but I hadn't really, this was like my first actual venture though. Um, you know, I'd done all like the, the side projects in school and case studies and whatnot, but in terms of really building something, building a product and, you know, pitching it to a bunch of people and, you know, releasing it to the general public. This was the first time. And mm -hmm. I think I'm, I feel very lucky that it's gone as well as it has so far. And we're definitely learning as we go here, but yeah, uh, I hope to continue it after. I remember like maybe three weeks after launch when we had started to get a little bit of traction and I was still at my old job for a little bit. Um, I remember I had this realization. I was like, Oh God, like even if this tanks, I could never go back to like working like for someone else in a massive organization ever again. Like it's just too much fun building stuff with my friends and with my brother. Um, so yeah, after that realization, I was like, I, I do think I, I kind of am a little more wired for it than I maybe thought I was beforehand. So it's been very encouraging from this. From yeah. the How has it been working as brothers together? What is that like? <laughs> It, it's good uh, overwhelmingly positive <laughs> yeah um, like both of you guys are laughing like probably like <laughs> reminiscing on stories right now but yeah <laughs> i mean honestly from the rip it's it's been awesome the first like four months and i think the best part of it comes in the hardest times so in the times where we're thinking about our roadmap and we're at you know we have many different ideas floating around or we have a hard decision to make one way or the other and you get into some tough conversations with one another and you might be disagreeing completely. And, you know, it, it helps yeah. that mm. my, my co-founder is my brother in the sense that I can be fully honest with him and just, you know, let him know my honest opinion and we'll get into it, you know, yeah. with brothers. but you know, five, <laughs> 10 minutes later, yep. we're just back to normal. You know, <laughs> yeah. so I'm like, I'm like, Kyle, I need to take five. And I just yeah. <laughs> off and we come back and it's good. Um, yeah <laughs> i agree i i think that's it's like the honesty is 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 really there and like this the the foundation is really solid uh mm -hmm. um and like yeah it's it's one of those things where i would never talk to a co-worker at a company in some the way that i talk to evan sometimes right. just, but but it's 
it's just we kind of get emotional about about things but in a in a respectful way like mm-hmm. we have a really good relationship with with each other and with our other brother austin who's who's our like audio engineer uh and it's good it's we're lucky that we have a good solid kind of foundation there um to build on and it has been it has been quite fun actually what's up guys adam levy here i wanted to take a quick pause to give some love to coinvise our nft sponsor who's making this episode a reality on Coinvise, you can create a personal or community-owned social token on Ethereum. Coinvise also helps you create incentives through token rewards and bounties, NFT business models, and bot integrations for Discord. Discover more by visiting coinvise.co today. All right, back to the episode. Yeah. So all you guys are doing music? Like, are you all like musicians, or how, what is the what is the connection here? That's that's funny. I, I think we all have like a strong music background. We used to play music together and jam um, all, all the yeah. time when we were growing up. But uh, I think our middle brother is the most serious about it. He's a full time uh, producer and uh, engineer. And uh, I just worked on this on that beat generator just for fun because like I just, mm. the big thing is we used to we used to go to a lot of festivals together, go to a lot of concerts together, and share mm. a lot of in music together. And kind of we've always had a really uh, strong like musical relationship where we would each try to one-up each other with like the best new artists that we just found and kind of impress each other with our like indie music knowledge um yeah and i think that that segued really nicely into a project like this because like we all can speak the same language about like you know these more advanced music stuff but for me i've learned way more about music in the last four months than i than i have Mm -hmm. probably in my entire life it's it's awesome it's really cool same goes for me and it kind of ties into the today's product that we have so Mm -hmm. We have our Peggy Genesis, which is our or Peggy Studio Genesis, rather, which is the the DAW that's in browser today. And Kyle and I kind of hacked that together pretty quickly in only a couple of months. And it, it's reflected in the DAW for sure. It's it's pretty limited in its features. But what's also reflected is the fact that Kyle and I haven't spent that much time in DAWs and are very kind of DAW illiterate uh, to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> and so the DAW is really made for dummies in a way uh, yep. right now to where if you're a new user who's never made music before, you can kind of hop in there, drag and drop, click around, you know, randomize your beat if you want to. You can have kind of a template to start with. And it, I think it makes things a lot easier um, for people who are less familiar with some of the, the leading DAWs today, like Ableton and Pro Tools and whatnot. So blessing and a curse, not knowing, you know, too much about yeah. production. But we're really fortunate that our third brother is a very experienced producer and has spent a lot of time in DAWs. So we have the, the right resources to pull from in terms of building the the next iteration, which we hope to be a little bit more or a lot bit more powerful than today's DAW, but still maintain the, the usability and the, and the ease of use for new users as yeah. well. You keep saying DAW, and initially I thought DAO, like a decentralized. Yeah, yeah, we get all the time. I, that. <laughs> I was like, DAW wait, that could be a new way to say it. Yeah, okay. you're, 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 you probably know about DAWs a little bit. <laughs> so yeah, some people call them DAW, some people call them DAWs, but it's digital digital audio workstation. And like, got it. yeah, I mean, Adam, you, you're you're probably very familiar with like which. What's yeah. your favorite uh, favorite DAW? Honestly, I've never I've never really produced. I've always just been like behind the screen, the glass the glass screen, just cool. playing, right? So yeah. I've never I've never really been the producer or the engineer. So yeah. I know Pro Tools. Obviously, I know uh, there's. Um, there's the one, the fruit one. I'm blanking out. Yeah, fruit. Absolutely there. Yeah. So there's a, there's a it's few of one. them, you know, and yeah. like I have the one in the Tesla too, for example, you know, where I just <laughs> like, like dummy beats, you know. But yeah. yeah, I've never really spent time. But I one thing that I really liked about your layout is like it's super dumbed down and easy to create a beat. Like it's it's approachable. 
right? It's not scary to use. The second you open Pro Tools, obviously it's more advanced for different for different uh, uh, problems that need to be solved. But I like the the very friendliness and how approachable it is because people like my thesis, like everybody's a creator, right? In their own respect. So having an interface in a program that's as easy, digestible, you know, and easy to use, I think I think that's a winner. So I, I, I assume down the line there's going to be different use cases for different types of music, full composition, whether whether it's beyond just beat making itself. But we can get into that a little bit later. One thing I want to talk to you guys about is what has been that transition from Web 2 into Web 3 like? Because you guys have a, have a deep like Web 2 background. So a lot of the yeah. ethos is a lot of the principles, a lot of the foundations that kind of like stem the narratives for Web 3 are much different, you know, than Web 2. What has that been like for you guys? I think... Yeah, I mean, I kind of want Kyle to talk about this one because he almost had the Web3 mentality like before learning about Web3. Like, I kind of had to tell him about what it was. I had my foot in the door a little sooner than he mm -hmm. is. But I feel like he's almost been like preaching a lot of the ethos of Web3 his whole life without even knowing it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the funny thing. You're, it's a good point because it's funny because I worked at Google, which is like the definition of a Web2 right. centralized exactly. platform. But while I was there, like the projects I wanted, I worked on, thankfully, were actually all about decentralized machine learning, which is a really oh. cool new concept. Um, so I was lucky that I got to work on projects like that. But then more importantly, I think politically, I, I'm like, uh, I very much, I'm really into like, uh, Murray Bookchin. <laughs> yeah, I was a little bit of a troublemaker. I'm really into like, uh, into uh, like libertarian socialist stuff, mm -hmm. which is like an interesting, uh, it's an interesting like branch that talks a lot yeah. about co-ops. Uh, it talks a lot about like decentralized organizations uh, mm -hmm. where everybody has like one vote. You know, there's a lot of like discussion about how do you build communities around uh, like without centralization, basically. Um, and so it's kind of Web3 before like it, without the, the tech side of it. Mm -hmm. It's like, how do you like I was actually right before I started working on this with Evan, I was working at a co-op that was doing uh, like a rideshare app that was basically owned fully by the drivers. It was competing with like Uber oh, and Lyft. Cool. The you should check it out. Actually, it's it's called the Drivers Co-op. Um, That's yeah, really cool. That's like very like anti anti like other way around and like really experimentative. That's really cool. Yeah. Right. Right. Cool. So the funny thing is, I was doing that, and then we started working on this NFT thing, and I was like, okay, these two things aren't related at all. You know, they're, they're completely <laughs> different like, things. No, and one wow, is like, you gotta learn what a DAO is. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Evan sent me resources on DAOs and stuff, and I, I think. I, I would just say like this to summarize like the biggest difference for me, the biggest, the coolest thing I think about web three is like the emphasis on community. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a buzzword in a lot of ways, but I do yeah. think that it's, it's so deeply ingrained into like how you succeed and how, like what it means to like, to, to really build a good web three product is more about building a strong community of people who are mm -hmm. like all aligned and, that's that's just so cool it's it's really fun and it's yeah. thankfully we have a product that i think people get emotionally excited about because it's a creative tool and it's fun to use and uh you know and yeah. we've tried yeah. to put our community first so go ahead Absolutely. yeah i was just gonna say and i'm really grateful that we're not trying to build a community that's hyper focused on value creation and like the floor of like the collection like i think it would i it, love that by the way i think that's such a unique distinction uh, about you guys for sure thank you i appreciate that because i mean it's it's hard right if you're an artist in web3 and you release a collection of your art and it does really well to begin with and the, the floor is high and everyone's really excited and everyone's having a great time and you're like oh my god these people love my art like you know i'm, I'm getting yeah. so much like i'm a great creator 
And then all of a sudden, you know, a month later, things get stagnant, bear market comes along and the floor goes down and your community like can get almost like turn on you in a sense. And it's like, what, like you're supposed to be buying it for the art. Like you're mm -hmm. not buying it to, you shouldn't be buying this stuff to like flip it and make a profit if it's like an art piece. And so I think we're very fortunate in that kind of the roadmap and the product that we're building um, isn't hyper-focused on value creation. It's, it's focused on value creation for creators. It's like kind of the value is what you make of it in a sense, rather than, um, you know, speculating about uh, the floor price and, and all of that. So true. So really, really fortunate there for sure. What a, what a cool model to like shift the focus on the creative energy versus the financial energy, because mm -hmm. the second things are high, everybody can get excited, but like to really establish a genuine community, you got to be in it for, through the thick and thin. And mm -hmm. I think you're right. Like putting an emphasis on the creative energy is a great way to kind of take that step forward and empower creators through their creative like act versus the financialization of the creator. Because there's a lot of talk around ownership. You know, there's talks around social tokens and the speculative nature. We talk a lot about that on, on Mint, on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And one thing that stood out to me about you guys is like that step to put creative energy first, which I, I, I really loved. I guess like how does that kind of like move forward? So once they... Once they create the song, they mint the song on chain, it's minted as an NFT, there's, there's still the financialization of it, right? Mm. Are, are, like, how, how does that work post, post creation, post mint, just like any other yeah. asset on chain, right? Mm. Yeah, I think for the for the Genesis collection, so right now we have our 600 studio passes and mm -hmm. each one of those convert, converts into one song. We see this Genesis collection as more of a historic sort of the first on-chain music creation platform, kind of the way Autoglyphs was the first on-chain generative art piece. Obviously, mm -hmm. you can't equate the value of those two things, but we're not super focused on like, okay, how do we generate value for creators and like holders with the Genesis collection? We're, we're really focused right now. We have a lot more research, resources at our disposal, fortunately, so we can afford to look forward rather than backwards right now. We're really hyper-focused on building up the next iteration of the DAW and the next collection. Um, we're looking at a much lower barrier to entry. So right now, in order to mint a song, you have to own one of these studio passes. Floor on a studio pass right now is 0.3, 0.4 ETH, which is way too high for you know a music producer coming into the scene. So we're like, okay, Genesis collection, it's great. It's gonna have historic value and it should be hyper-scarce. But with our next collection, we want to really open it up to be a platform for all creators rather than just the really crypto native and the crypto rich ones. Um, so yeah, we're looking at bringing the, the mint price down to zero or like very, very cool. small fees and hopefully getting it cheaper to mint as well with a new contract and then ton more features in the DAW. And then I guess to answer, to answer your question about, okay, I meant a song like now what as a creator, um, we're hoping to tie in some interesting incentives and financial systems into it with um, stem royalties. So, you know, you mm. can wrong and maybe all your stems get minted along with it as tokens or maybe not as tokens. And then you have royalty splits tied to those stems and people can remix them. Uh, lots of fun, interesting stuff. And it's all kind of a, a grand experiment to us. You know, we don't want to set out with our next iteration and be like, oh my God, we're going to create so much money for creators because it's a hard thing to promise you know ideally sure. that's a goal in the long run but i think it's going to take a lot of iteration and a lot of experimentation um to see what kind of patterns and what sort of behaviors our community latches onto within our product and so 
you know, I don't want to promise anything about financial incentives, but in the future, I think we'd really like to integrate with some of the other web through music platforms who kind of are more downstream, right? So you have platforms like Audius and Royal that are experimenting with, um, you know, streaming and royalty splits. And, right. thing. and I feel like those two projects are really not maybe those two, but one of those projects in that vein are really going to drive value creation within web three music. And I think if we integrate into one of those somehow, that's really where we start to bridge the gap between, you know, music creation and blockchain and value generated for the end user. Yeah. I, I love that. You know, speaking on top of uh, on ownership, for example, obviously a major, major primitive and backbone to the whole ethos of Web3. Okay, a lot of what people celebrate about this new environment. How do you guys think about music ownership at Arpeggio? Like, what does ownership mean to you guys? And how do you try to empower creators with your thesis on ownership? That's such an interesting question. There, I just want to bring up, there's a great Water and Music, their Web3 music publication. Mm-hmm. Last week, they published five articles, and one of them was about the different ways you can own music NFTs and highly recommend diving into that. It'll probably raise more questions than answer sure. them for you, but uh, it's an ongoing discussion that we have almost every day about what it really means to own a music NFT. And I'd, I'd love for, I know Kyle has has his own opinions and I have mine, but it's kind of defined by the, by the artists in a lot of ways uh, historically. But for us, it's tricky because, you know, we're building the tech and we build like the licenses and the policies around the tech. So, you know, there's, there's different options we can take. And I don't think we fully landed on, on what they are. I guess to zoom out a little bit, talk about the different types of music NFTs. So um, historically, there's, there's been a bunch of different collections and a lot of them are just like one of one collectibles. So an artist will make a song, make an NFT out of it. And then you can own kind of just a collectible vinyl copy of that song. It's sort of just a, a piece of memorabilia. You can still have a lot of value as a collector's item, but there's no rights and uh, royalties or anything like that associated with, with it. So that's one type. And then another type is one that has rights and copyrights tied to it, um, which is more you know in the vein of Royal and something Blau has done a couple times now with some of his NFT drops where you buy one of the NFTs and it represents not only the song, but... Uh, rights to a portion of the royalties of that song, which is super interesting territory that we'd like to experiment in as well um, down the line. And then there's all other kinds of, of music NFTs out there as well. But I'd say the distinction between those two is probably the most important. So some music NFTs act as just collectibles and then some actually have utility where mm. they have royalties t- attached to them. And it's still very experimental in the space. And there's a lot of like legal risks associated with, you know, delving into the royalty side of things, which we're, we're kind of sussing out, but uh, yeah, Kyle, maybe you can share your, your take on that too. Yeah. Uh, so Evan mentioned something like, we have a conversation a lot about why are we, why NFTs at all? Like are NFTs really the right model for music mm-hmm. on the blockchain? And we started off, obviously our project was the first ever uh, uh, fully on-chain NFT music platform that musicians could use to create songs. And we did it. We did it with NFTs because that was what we understood and, and knew. But the more that, like, I personally look at at the music space and see what projects are are where they are, and think about how how music is going to, you know, how music how music will be changed by Web three. I'm more and more excited about like non NFT, uh, uh, the non NFT side, like the more of the protocol side, the 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 lower layers, the lower level stuff where 
it's not like I'm buying a one of one song from another from another person. It's more like Audius, where they've built this like they've built this uh, protocol that is for storing songs and and metadata with those songs and providing those songs to be available to to listeners uh, as long as those listeners um, you know meet certain criteria and it's all decentralized and nobody's like there's no Spotify controlling who gets to post what and mm-hmm. like who gets to listen gets to what to decide what they want. Yeah, to the artist gets to decide. So I love that model personally. I really think that there's some really cool opportunities for us to hit that. Uh, to do some ex- interesting protocol stuff at an upstream layer, like uh, you know, more at the sample layer, at the mm-hmm. uh, creation side, at the remixing side, um, and to have protocols like that where ownership is more about like I signed this this contract on this day with my my uh, with my stem, but nobody gets to like own that. It's not like there's an NFT floating around in my wallet for that necessarily. It's like that protocol was just defined. Um, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. One thing that I'm I'm like really really curious about is creators or let's talk about musicians for a minute. They're having all sorts of different tokenized assets on chain, from fandom to samples to uh, songs to social tokens to all these different types of elements. And I know a lot of on like a ton a ton of companies and projects they're focusing on minting. You guys are approaching approaching from a completely different light, which I love. All these creators have all these types of assets. What happens after that? You know, like how do you how do you build community around that? You have all these collectors that live online that have all these assets from again your social token to your fandom to your songs to all these things. How do you combine them into one product to actually build a community? You know what I mean? Like what it, what does that look like? Kind of a million right, dollar question, right? Yeah, I know. I, I think that's a fantastic <laughs> question. I, I think I like know. it's it's interesting because let's let's talk about like visual art because that's a much more mature also, exactly. side of like and has that been solved for visual art? Like, is there a like the closest thing that I can think of right now? To be honest, is like an open sea. It's mm-hmm. like I have my wallet where I proudly show off my art collection and I kind of use it for like the social capital. People know that I have these um, these uh, these pieces. Um, yeah, I mean, music is entirely different, and yeah, it's a huge question that's been raised in the space. And one of the biggest problems too, like you can't skirt around it, but the music collector market is is very small right now. There's only a handful of music collectors actually in the space, and I think you can attribute that to a number of things. But one of the biggest is that there's no way to like flex your music NFTs in the same way that you flex your PFP. Unfortunately, yeah. I mean, if you're dropping like a couple ETH on one of these things, you want some way of displaying it. It's kind of like the nature of humans to own something. You want to like show it off. And so I think music, I, I honestly don't think that's the solution for music, though. I don't think music is consumed in that same way. Uh, but I still think that owning music as as a collectible has a lot of value. I just, I'm not sure if it's found the right way to manifest itself mm. yet. And uh, this space is so new that I'm more just excited to see what kind of creative solutions people come up with. And I don't know if that's too much in our ballpark for right now in terms of our yeah. road, but I think that's yeah. a yeah. question I, to ask. And honestly, and, and I guess I've heard it from someone. Yeah. You know, and I, I guess I only asked that because like I talked to a lot of guests on, on the podcast, each one solving minting or creation or empowerment for creators in different fashions. And we kind of forget to zoom out sometimes and be like, wait, now all these creators have all these assets from the tokens created on Mirror to Rally to Roll on OpenSea 
on this, on that, and like all these like on-chain assets. Like, how do you actually, and all these different collectors, how do you actually bundle them together and like build community? Because that's what it comes down to, right? That buzzword that you talked about, Kyle. Like, yep. you can you can mint and mint and mint and mint and mint and have all these things, but what's next? Kind of thing. There's a few know? projects that are that are really geared towards towards figuring that answering that question. Like, I know Sound X Y Z. That's mm-hmm. one of their their biggest goals is like building communities between fans and mm-hmm. uh i've been invited to a few discords by some artists that i really like um like camouflage and daniel mm-hmm. allen and and that's an interesting new thing that's happening is you have an artist who just makes a discord community for their fans where they can chat there with go, each yeah. other that's yeah. discord has been amazing i think for mm-hmm. uh for building communities like that but that's it's not it doesn't solve the problem like you said yeah. yeah but i mean it's kind of a good example of how i think at this point in time it's really up to the artist to kind of decide what those mean to them right like like you said kyle you know you have artists like daniel allen um camouflage and like oshi who are super you know embedded in the community and they've kind of built a reputation for themselves and i think that you know generates more value for their tokens not in a monetary sense but as a holder i feel like more connected to one of those artists who's really active in the space um because i feel like it's almost like a means of reaching them especially when you're talking about the fan side of things. It's like, oh, I have this Oshi token. I see him in these discords. It's like, I feel like one step closer uh, to the artists and my support for them versus if I didn't have it. Um, But I think in time, there'll be platforms built around it where you can kind of bridge all these assets together in one place. And I think other platforms will build around it too. So like so much about, one of the biggest things about Web3 that I love is there's no like scarcity mentality. Kind of everyone... It's an, it's an abundance sort of thing where all these different Web3 music projects, rather than compete against one another, they really want to collaborate. And mm-hmm. so I think you'll start to see in the next year lots of different integrations between these different Web3 music platforms, whether that's us or like, you know, catalog with with sound, with Audius, with Royal, um, rather than everyone like, you know, being tunnel vision and staying in their lane. I think you'll see a lot of overlap and it'll kind of bolster the experience for holders and creators uh, yeah. all that's my like, you know. You know, Evan, it's so it's so cool that you bring that up because I think for a lot of the early founders in Web3, that that ethos of composability is very native to like who we are because we we see the value in collaboration. But now yeah. you see corporations like Adidas or Nike acquiring Artifact and then imposing like all these legal rules in terms of what they can do with the assets and kind of removing the whole ethos of composability here and there. I don't know. I guess my point is like, I think we as like early stage, like creators, collaborators, builders, whatever you want to call it, we see the power and ethos of composability, but there's a big corporations. I'd say like even meta Facebook, right? Like they want to own the metaverse, you know, Mm -hmm. they want to own the metaverse. Like it's curious to see how like all these assets are being built on Ethereum and all these experiences are built on Ethereum. And like Mm -hmm. meta had this era where they were going to launch their own chain and their own wall and do all these things with the blockchain. And like, how do the worlds collide? Like if all these songs live on Ethereum and then Facebook puts billions of dollars into marketing to to express this this narrative of the metaverse just to sell more Oculuses, right? And to get more people in that world, like I guess where does that where do those two more where do where do those two worlds collide? Because those assets are unique to the chain that it lives on, right? So these are like the big picture things that I I'd love to like pick your brains about. Like, are you guys thinking about that in terms of music creation? Like yeah, I mean, I, I've been inside the belly of, of the beast. Google wasn't right. as bad as Facebook, obviously, in terms of like, <laughs> uh, like, yeah, I think you're completely right. It's a, it reminds me of astroturfing, the concept of like, 
a big organization pretending like basically putting a bunch of money behind uh, a, a propaganda campaign that says that they are doing a grassroots uh, mm-hmm. like that they're they're behind a grassroots movement and the web3 decentralized crypto all this stuff is very much a grassroots movement and and was very much a kind of countercultural thing for a long time and now that like facebook's kind of using the term meta and co-opting the term metaverse like it's it's a little it's astroturf they're trying to kind of get in on the on the like ride the wave and trying to like put their name behind a, a, a thing while it's popular but like uh, I, I think you, it's really good that you brought up the fact that they tried to do a coin, right? They tried to do a token a few years ago. And by that the just... way, that's the reason why I bought Facebook too, because they were going to do a token. You know? <laughs> so, but anyways, continue. But what happened, right? Like, it didn't work out. Like, I think they yeah. had regulation issues and like it was just too com- complicated. And like, and so, like they tried to do it before. They're trying to do it again. Like I, I keep, I'm going to, we're going to keep seeing it happen over and over, but like I'm, you know, I mean, also to to be fair, like you're going to have a lot of big investors, a lot of big, and, and like it happens to all these all these crypto companies, include you know, they're we're getting a lot of attention from investors, and so there's going to be a lot of big money coming in. But I think yeah. the ethos and the kind of the core driving principles, the cool thing, is that those are pretty uh, consistent amongst these projects. Every crypto founder that we've talked to, even you know other investors or other big names in the space, like it, the people who are in Web three, like you can tell. They do believe in in these these principles uh, for the most part. I'm, I'm maybe I'm an optimist, and, and maybe I'm not. You know, maybe I, I've seen the best in people, but I, I genuinely think that like that mentality of like of like let's actually decentralize, let's actually bring the power to the users, let's you know that stuff. I think is real, and I think it'll stick around. And I don't think like mm-hmm. Facebook is gonna is take that away. Yeah, Evan, anything anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, it just got me thinking about like yeah. I... Totally agree with everything Kyle said, but these corporations are really scary in the sense that they kind of have a lot of hands in the government as well. And you, you know, you've seen these crypto hearings recently where politicians in office right now are not necessarily the most informed. And it's, it's hard because the space is like, you know, I have a background in tech and I still had a really hard time understanding what was going on in Web3. Uh, so you can only imagine how these people on Capitol Hill are having a time wrapping their heads around Yeah. It. You know, with these huge corporations kind of at odds with the Web3 community in some ways, especially Facebook, um, you know, it'll be interesting to keep track of kind of their involvement with the policies and regulations that are passed in the coming years and how that affects the industry. Um, and and it, by it, the way, and just to yeah. jump in really quick, Evan, just to add to that. Yeah. As many hands as these big like Silicon Valley corps have in government, mm-hmm. it shows you that it's not enough hands to actually make Facebook's like coin reality come to life <laughs> yeah. kind of thing that's true i mean hearing that how the coin fell apart was pretty pretty comforting but right. uh, it's, it's worth keeping an eye on in, in the next uh years i'm definitely optimistic as well though like, yeah i mean i obviously wouldn't be doing this if, if i wasn't yeah right? for sure and by the way i don't know if it was a coin just for like just for like reference and for clarity mm-hmm. i don't know if it was a coin or more of like a blockchain play i know there was a wallet play coming into place but if it keeps following that linear narrative as a lot of other projects come to life, there would be a coin at some point. That's Those are our assumptions. So, yeah. so I don't get shit from the audience or something. <laughs> I think one thing that'll really help, you know, Web3 beat out some of these bigger corporations is building a better user experience around crypto right now. I think there's still quite a technical barrier to entry when you have MetaMask and, you know, all these different chains going on at one time, especially with gas fees as high as they are today. So, you know, I think... As more people enter in the space and the, and the end experience gets better and better for users, 
um, it'll become the obvious choice to go with the decentralized option versus some of these more established solutions. You know, Facebook is going to have a beautiful UI experience built around their products, but yeah, uh, I'm really hoping that we can, you know, beat them to it. And I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic that we will. I think you will too. Uh, I know we only have so much time left, so I want to ask you one, one quick thing. You guys are now like a main player in music and Web3. You guys are leading a, a core narrative, okay? So first, you have that responsibility on your shoulders, number one. Number two, what do you think the future of like 2022 looks like for music x crypto? That's a big question. Oh, man. Let me think about it. Con considering where we are today with the platforms mm. that we have from people starting to tinker with buying music, buying fandom, minting songs on chain, what could that kind of spiral into in the next 365 days? I'll say this. I'm pretty confident that there will be sort of the first Web3 musician that goes mainstream and whose main revenue isn't generated from um, DSPs, like streaming platforms, but rather um, Web3 music platforms. I'm really hopeful on that front. And I think that's a super powerful narrative to see play out within the space and will draw a lot of attention um elsewhere that's that's one yeah. thing that i will say i'm confident on it and i'm awesome. excited to see okay. I, I think similarly like the, one of the best things about music as a as an area of web3 is that the traditional like the existing music industry is very old school like mm. it's very slow to adapt and they're just yeah. now figuring out big data stuff in mm. these like it feels like that it's a great place to to innovate because like the 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 middlemen eat so much of the pie. So yeah, like Evan said, I think you're gonna have artists probably a lot more than just the ones that make it big, but a lot of artists who are gonna be able to like truly sustain themselves uh, off of the fact that now they're not losing eighty percent of their uh, of their revenue to labels. They're gonna be getting it themselves, whether it's like using Audius or whether it's with Royal or whether mm -hmm. you know you're gonna mm -hmm. have like. I think you're going to have a lot more artists who are going to be like, holy crap, I can actually, you know, I might not make a million dollars, but I'll be able to like pay my bills because I can just get a lot more direct access to the end user. And that's the stuff that I, I'm really excited about in 2022. Love it. Guys, I think that's a great place to end off. Before I let you go, where can we find you? Where can we find our Pedgy? Give us the spiel. Go for it. Absolutely. Well, we got our handles down below, I guess. I'm, I'm so, LP Lightning and this is, TG uh, Luciano on Twitter. Those were like our aliases before we doxed ourselves. And so <laughs> but we're, we're holding on to them. So nice. you can find those handles. Um, obviously, the Arpeggi Labs Discord is always active. We're running competitions all the time with the Genesis Studio. I highly recommend getting in there, you know, cooking up a song and entering into one of those. Um, you know, Twitter is at Arpeggi Labs. And we got the website there as well. We're planning some, some big releases for early uh, tw uh 2022 so cool. stay tuned for those and yeah that's about awesome it. guys thank you so much we'll have to do this again uh sometime soon when uh i don't know when there's a shit ton of people in web3 specifically musicians that are exploring this route and hear the learnings and all the data collected but for now thank you so much uh we'll talk again soon thank Thanks, you adam. adam it was a pleasure